Thank you, Mike. Before we get into the message, uh, I'd like to have us bow our heads, and and I'm going to just offer up a little prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, you know our hearts. You you search us. You know us inside and out. Uh, You know what we struggle with. You know the desires of our heart, and sometimes, Lord, those are are far from you. Uh, Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, touch and change our lives, transform them so they would be more and more like you each and every day. Uh, living in the truth of Jesus Christ, living and dwelling within us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So boys and girls, today, uh, as we get a chance to hear a message from from God's word, uh, we're going to use a phrase that you may not fully understand. It's, It's a church phrase called temptation. And what that means is sometimes someone or, or something tries to get us to do something or live in such a way that, that goes against what God teaches. Uh, and so maybe sometimes you've had a thought or, or a feeling, um, something like, I really don't want to do what mommy and daddy are telling me to do. I want to do things my way. Well, God doesn't want us to do that kind of stuff. He wants us to obey our parents. And so when we have those kind of thoughts and we give in to trying to do things our way, that becomes a sin. Uh, And so we're going to talk about that kind of thing uh, with our moms and dads. Uh, But just know that that Jesus loves us uh, at all times and he invites us to come to him uh, when temptations come our way, whether it's a thought or, or something we say or something we do. So moms and dads and, and grown-ups that are here, we're, we're going to dive into the gospel, uh, the gospel of Mark. In this season of Lent, as, as we reflect on uh, what Jesus did for us as he sets his mind to go to the cross to, to pay for the price of our sins, um, we're going to take a little bit, little time and, and, and kind of hit home uh, areas of our life that really need to be a hit home. Mark is written to Christians, people who believe. Mark is written to you and to me. And really what he does in the first eight chapters of the book of Mark is, is speeds through all of Jesus' life, um, adult ministry, and slows way down when he gets to chapter 8, Uh, and starts to focus on Holy Week, that last week that Jesus is here before he goes uh, to the cross. So Mark wants to move us by the hand, and what he does is he just highlights specific areas where where God is making a difference in, in our world, right? And so it's something like this. It goes immediately... Immediately, and and we had that happen twice in the gospel lesson. The first time we hear Mark say, immediately, he's highlighting what Jesus does. Jesus, immediately baptized, has the heavens open up. And God declares, you are my beloved son. And before the water is even dry on his head and, and on his clothes because he's fully baptized. Before all that happens, immediately, Mark says, Jesus is driven out into the wilderness where he's tempted. So one of Jesus' early public ministries is to be tempted. Why is that so important for you and for me as Christians. Well, when Jesus was baptized, what he did is he submitted himself, he, he put himself under God's law. Fully human, he's now a target for Satan. 
to come after him fast and furious. Just like Satan does for you and for me. So immediately he's driven out into the wilderness and he has this battle with the devil. Jesus knows who he's fighting against and the devil knows why Jesus came. And the devil doesn't want Jesus to win and Jesus doesn't want the devil to do his harm any longer. And so we have this sense of urgency and and Mark just seems to drive it home. Immediately, immediately he's driving, he's driving, he's driving us to the cross. And there's a sense of urgency as Jesus has moved into the wilderness. It's the same sense of urgency that God uses for his people when he, when he takes them by the hand out of Egypt and he, and he rescues them. He says, you've been in bondage, you've been enslaved. And he takes them to the Red Sea and they cross that Red Sea ultimately in safety and evil is done in behind them. Immediately, Jesus is tempted. And so as we look at what what Jesus goes through, we we can ask ourselves some questions. Was Jesus really only tempted like three times? Mark really doesn't tell us all the details. All it says in in Mark 1 verse 13, it's only half of a verse. It says, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. That's it. We actually have to go to other places in the scripture to kind of unpack and understand what Jesus went through when he was being tempted. I'm going to go to Hebrews because it it provides some good insight for us. It says this, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He's one in every respect that's been tempted as we are, yet we are without sin. Well, wait a minute. Are, are, are you, you telling me that there, there's probably times where Jesus was awake at night being hit with temptation after temptation? Yeah, probably. It wasn't just a one or a two or a three-time thing. Jesus encountered temptations just like you and, and me, and yet he was without sin. Now, now, now think about this. You know what you've done. You know the thoughts you've had. You know the words you've said. You know the things you've done that go against what God would teach. Jesus never gave in to that. And yet he still ends up in the cross, paying the price for our sin. There was an opportune time that the devil had left Jesus in the wilderness. He's like, all right, I'm going to try and get you tripped up again. He, and, he, and he comes after Jesus probably in the Garden of Gethsemane, trying to get Jesus to not go to the cross. But Jesus allows himself to get arrested and resolutely heads to the cross on our behalf. Here, here's, here's where I'm humbled. He's, he's innocent. And yet... He's still being pierced with nails in his flesh three times. He's being crucified for crimes he did not commit. And, and they're, they're crimes that I've committed. And they're, they're crimes that you've committed. They're, they're sins that go against God. And Jesus could have very easily just cursed his enemies. He could have just been done with all of us. And if it was me and I was hanging on a cross like that and I felt like I was being unjustly treated, I would probably be cursing my enemies wholeheartedly. But Jesus doesn't do that. In Isaiah, he says it this way. He says, 
He was oppressed, he was afflicted, and opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that's led to the slaughter, he's a sheep that is silent before his shears, so he opened not his mouth. He did not speak words of judgment against his enemies. Oh, he prayed. He prayed on behalf of his enemies. Father, forgive them. Oh, he prayed. He prayed for a, a thief that was right next to him that probably gave in to his temptations a, a handful of times and is actually paying the price for his crimes. Uh, he's being crucified right alongside Jesus. He prayed, Jesus prayed for him. And Jesus prays for you and for me when we face temptations also. And not only did he pray for us, he, he died for us. Jesus went to the cross for you and for me. He was completely, fully tempted. He could have ended it easily just by stepping down. He didn't falter, not once, not any single time did he commit a sin. He had the perfect resistance of temptation. And rather than call judgment down on us, he wants to give us the credit for the work that he did on the cross. So I'm going to ask you right now, does that change the way you want to live? What are you struggling with? What do you lie awake with at night, hoping that nobody ever finds out? What, what comes your way? Are there things going on outside of your marriage that are reserved only for marriage? Are you um, struggling with thoughts and actions that you've done? Are, are you someone who tries to build yourself up at the expense of others, maybe through, through gossip? Paul gives us a whole list of things here that he points out as sinful. In Romans, he says it this way. He says, they're filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy. They're murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God. They're insolent. They're haughty. They're boastful. They're inventors of evil. They're disobedient to their parents. They're foolish, they're faithless, they're heartless, and they're ruthless. And here's the hard thing that's, that's extremely hard to swallow. Paul continues, and he says, even though they know the things of God, they, they praise the actions of those that are being disobedient. It's like, yeah, woo! We are way too comfortable with sin. We should be undone by our sin. We are way too comfortable with acting other than a child of God. We are not acting like one who's been redeemed. And that hurts. And I want to. I want to act like one who's been redeemed. I don't want to be hit with temptation. I don't want to give in to that. And I know there's probably some of you who are in the same boat. Well, what do we do when temptation comes calling? Well, Jesus gives us some tools. One of those tools is prayer. Um, and, and this is what I'll do. If, if I'm lying awake at night and there's just thoughts coming at me one way or another, or I'm harboring anger here or, or something's happening over here that I'm just frustrated with, I'll, I'll pray the Lord's Prayer over and over again. And, and I'd rather fall asleep praying the Lord's Prayer over and over again than to give in to that thought temptation. And, and, and one of the prayers is this. In that, in that Lord's Prayer, it says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Over and over again, we have that. 
One of the translations is deliver us from the evil one. And, and, and we give Satan a lot of credit, you know, probably too much. Lord, deliver us from him and his evil ways. We could be praying, Lord, deliver us from the world and its ways, but really what we should be praying is, Lord, deliver us from me and my ways and align my life with you. My brothers and sisters, Satan knows where your weak spots are and he comes at you fast and furious, but Jesus does not leave us alone. I'm gonna go back to that verse from Hebrews again, it says, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness. He's one in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin, but it doesn't end there. This is what Jesus tells us we can do in scripture. He says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we can receive mercy and find grace in the help in our time and need. Anyone who's being tempted can run to Jesus, anyone can love and know the love of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Folks, we can remember who we are. <laughs> and that's one of the beautiful things that I think of as, as us as Lutheran Christians is we see what the scriptures teach and, and we recognize that God is a God who works through ordinary means, right? We have a way of being reminded um, of what, the work that Jesus has done. When we have baptisms take place, right, the, the same thing that happened to Jesus happens to you and to me who are baptized, right? Jesus, God himself is saying, you are my beloved son. And he says that to all of us who are baptized. You're my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter. I love you. I went to the cross from you. I'm, it's life-changing. It's life-changing. And, and we have it as a, a reminder here in front of us every time we gather for worship. When we look at the cross and, and we see that it's empty and, and, and we know, okay, Jesus was hanging on something like that. When we consider the empty tomb and how Jesus is no longer there, he's, he's risen, it's, it's amazing. But we have something else that we really just don't pay a whole lot of attention to that gives witness to what Jesus did day in and day out when we gather for worship. It's this piece of furniture right here. It's a witness to what God has done. An altar. Do you know there was a time in God's history, the people in his history, where if we wanted to atone for our sins, we would have to bring the choices of our animals and the head of the house would have to give it to the priest. They would slaughter that and burn it on an altar and sins would be atoned for. I want to read something to you from Hebrews that talks about this and the role that it plays in the life of us as Christians. Because Jesus lives forever, we have a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he's able to save completely those that come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our needs. One who is holy, he's blameless, he's pure, he's set apart from sinners, he's exalted above the heavens, unlike other high priests, he doesn't need to offer sacrifice day after day. Unlike pastors, he doesn't need to offer sacrifices day after day. No. What he did is he offered one sacrifice himself once and for all. This bloodless altar gives witness to the fact that Jesus already paid the penalty of our sins. 
And we can approach the throne of grace and recognize that we are forgiven. You could be the worst, most evil, atrocious person in all of earth, and if you repent and believe that Jesus came for you, your sins are forgiven. You and I, in our temptations, when we give in, when we repent, our sins are forgiven. Folks, it is a beautiful reminder. It is a living witness. It is a witness to the living God living within us. Let's live transformed lives. Let's live lives that are forgiven. Let's leave this place saying, Lord, you've given me your Holy Spirit. You've never left